0: Amen. What a great day it is to be in the house of our Lord, praising his name and worshiping him. I am uh, thankful for Pastor Corey, thankful for our worship team and how they lead us, how they sing the very word of God. Uh, that's such a powerful thing. It makes life easier as a pastor because uh, there's oftentimes I want to get up here and just say, now let's move to a time of reflection and reflect upon what it is we just sang about. Um, about the goodness of the Lord and what he has done for us. Well, i got to tell you, good morning. It is good to be back with you. It is good to be back in our study of Titus. Now, if you were here a week ago, you know that we started walking through uh, the letters that Paul wrote to both Titus. And then we will eventually get into uh, the letters to Timothy as well. This is a series that we've called Letters from the pastor. Now, we talked about this last week, how this is Paul, the pastor, speaking to the pastors with the purpose of encouraging them and edifying them. And so what we have before us, again with Titus, is these are Paul's words to Titus. Um, and what he's hoping to do is set up what would become the structure of the church. And so as we walk through Titus, as we walk through First and Second Timothy, we will begin to see uh, the church begin to come together. And so, this morning is going to be a little different. This morning, as we continue through Titus one, uh, this is a little more of an instructional uh, type of message, but I think it is one that is needed and necessary for our church today. You see, this morning we are going to be looking at the qualifications for elders. Now, before we dive into this and go any further, we need to understand that elders are actually leaders within the church. And we know right now, both in the church and in our community, we need leaders. You see, leadership is actually crucial for the success of any organization. We know that everything rises and falls depending upon the leadership that is found within that organization. You see, leadership itself... Is influence. If there is good leadership, you will see a good and healthy organization. If you see bad leadership or poor leadership, then you may watch that entity or that organization fall. Now, in our churches today, in our current context, our current climate that we are living in here in the United States, we see a tremendous need for good and godly leadership in the church. You see, we as a church here in the United States, we have a need for biblical elders. Elders are men who By their integrity of life, by their maturity of faith in Jesus Christ, their competency in theology, and their authenticity in ministry, they gain the allegiance of a congregation that knows the love and soul of their shepherd. So as we plant churches, as we seek to revive churches that are dying as we seek to re-energize churches that have plateaued the great need of every church, regardless of what church you are in, is biblical God-honoring shepherds who find their job description laid out in the scriptures and not from some sort of marketing guide or business manual. You see, the church needs shepherds, not just managers. The church needs elders, not just corporate heads who are out to raise money or managers who want to draw crowds or, or leaders that measure themselves based upon the world's standards. You see, leadership is so important to the life of the church that God himself actually addresses the issue in detail multiple times throughout the New Testament. We see it in Acts chapter 20. First Timothy chapter 3, here in our passage today, in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and again in First Peter chapter 5. With each passage, we find a list of elders, or a list of leaders' personal character and theological competencies that are addressed by God. You see, God is primarily interested in who you are and then what you do. Because you see, the latter will flow from the former. So elders in the church. Elders are to be examples to the church of how the gospel produces godliness. And so in our text today, Paul, in speaking to Titus, will ultimately call Titus to finish the work, and then he gives us a list of qualifications for elders within the church. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn with me to Titus chapter 1, and we will begin reading in verse 5. Now once you have found your place, and you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul's letter to Titus. In Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's Pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the opportunity that we have over these next few moments to to take a look at this passage and hopefully understand more of you and understand more of the call that you have placed upon each of us. And so, Father, we pray that in these next few moments, just as we've sung the word, as we've heard the word spoken, God, I pray in these next few moments, prepare our heart and our minds for the teaching of your word. And so, God, I pray that you and you alone would be glorified. May you speak and may you move in these next few moments that we have together. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this day. We praise you for the opportunity to be gathered in this place. And Father, we continue to lift up your name as we worship you through the study of your word. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, before we dive into this text, and before you tune me out and begin thinking, well, clearly the pastor is about to talk about elders and biblical elders. This does not apply to me. Before you get to that point, I want you to think on a few thoughts and how Titus one verses five through nine apply to you. Whether you're a young man, an older man, whether you're a a woman in the room, I want you to think about this particular passage. So, as a male in the church, listen for just a moment. You see, when we look at this particular passage in Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, as a male, this should be the goal for every man within the church. It should be the goal for every man who is a member of the church to strive to become an elder within that church. And so as you look through this list as a male, you should be asking yourself these questions. How am I growing in these areas of my life? How am I growing in each characteristic that I see? for being a leader in the church. Because you see, even if you are never called to be an elder of the church, these are still great qualities for men. Whether you're a single man seeking to grow in godliness and righteousness, or whether you're a married man who has children and you're seeking to grow in godliness and righteousness as you lead your family. So whether you're a single, whether you're married, you're a husband, you're a father, yes, even if you are a leader in the community, these qualifications still apply to us, and therefore we should still strive to be this type of man of God. Now, if you're a woman in the room, this is not the moment where as a married woman, you should look at your husband and can constantly poke him for the next 30 to 45 minutes and go, See, I want that. Why can't you be what Paul is talking about here? This is not the moment where you circle a characteristic and say, my husband is good at this. And then you underline one in red and say, and my husband needs to work on this. Shame on him. This is not that moment. You see, as a woman, whether you are married or whether you are single, this is a good way to actually begin praying for your spouse. You should be praying for your future mate as you look through these qualities and characteristics. You should be praying for your spouse or future mate. You should be praying as a married woman over your spouse that they would have these qualities and characteristics so that your husband or future husband will ultimately look like this man of God that is described here by Paul. Now, if you're an older member of the church, and I want to clarify this for a moment because last week I told you I categorized myself as an older member. And by God's grace, thanks to some older members like Steve Summercamp and Paul Simpson, some of the older men, they clarified and said, I am on the younger side of the older men. Either way, I praise God for that characteristic. If you were an older man and you were looking at these categories, you may be thinking to yourself that maybe these qualifications are beyond you. Because maybe the status of being an elder is beyond your time, whether it be physical limitations, health, whatever it may be. Well, if that is you and you feel that you fit that category, then what we can do as older members as we can begin praying these qualities over the next generation of leaders within our church so that the legacy that has been built here by the glory of God for the good of man and for the community will continue long after we have left this place. So now that we have laid this foundation on how Titus 1, 5 through 9 applies to each of us, let us look further now into the qualifications for being an elder. In verses 5 and 6, we will clearly see that elders must be men with godly commitments. You see, we now know that Paul ministered to the people of Crete. We know this when we read Acts chapter 27, verses 7 through 21. We know that during that time, Paul made a brief stop um, that's actually recorded there in Acts chapter 27. However, based upon Paul's wording here to Titus, we can almost assume that at some point, Paul and Titus ministered to Crete together, perhaps during Paul's first missionary journey. Now we know that according to Acts chapter 2 verse 11, the Cretans were actually present in Jerusalem on Pentecost. And so it is possible that some of these Cretans were actually converted and then they went home to spread the good news about Jesus Christ. Either way, we do know this much about Crete. Crete, according to verse 5, is where Paul left Titus because he trusted Titus's ability to lead. We also know that Crete was about a 146-mile-long island in the Mediterranean. We know, according to mythology, that it was the mythical birthplace of Zeus and was famous for the legendary Minotaur, which was the half-bull, half-man mythical monster. We also know of the people of Crete during Titus's day. These were people who were immersed in emperor worship as their universal savior. So it is no wonder at this point why these congregations need some serious attention. And so Paul gives two reasons as to why he left Titus in Crete. The first was to put in, to put what remained into Order and the second was to appoint elders in every town. So for Paul, faithfulness to the church, faithfulness for the glory of God means bringing in and being the right men for the job and ultimately knowing what that job is, which was to fix and to repair what is broken so that the health of the church now demands qualified leadership. In fact, when you look in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, you will notice that the Bible actually only speaks of two offices in the church. The first being that of elders, and the second being that of deacons. Now, these roles were actually not meant to be the same, as each of these roles serve two distinct functions within the church. Now, we're going to get more into that distinction when we get into the letter that is written to Timothy. However, for our passage today, with Titus, whether you use the word elder or overseer or pastor, these words can actually be used interchangeably in Scripture to refer to the same office. Now, elder does not mean older. I remember my grandmother saying this all the time as I was leaving the house as a young child. Johnny, be sure to respect your elders. I knew what that meant. It meant to be sure that you respect the older generation, the adults, the parents, and the grandparents. However, this is not what the word elder means in the Bible. In fact, the term elder, which is more common in the Word of God, almost always appears in the plural in in the New Testament when addressing leaders of the church. Now, there is never a specific number that is ever given for the number of elders a church should have, but the emphasis in Scripture always falls on the character of the elder because the elders are the ones who help govern and help lead the church. So in being faithful to the text today, elders are the ones who are called upon to mend what is broken. Elders are the ones who are called upon to straighten what is crooked and it is done by starting at the top in order to make sure good and godly leaders are put in place to lead the church. You see, Peter, along with Paul, believed in these very same principles. He believed in this very same doctrine of leaders and doctrine of Eldership. You see in First Peter chapter 5 verse two, when speaking to the elders as a fellow elder himself, Peter states, "Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You see, elders are called upon to preach and to pray. Elders are called upon to shepherd and to care for the flock. And so it's at this point in our passage that we now get into the godly commitments of the elders. The first is that an elder, according to verse 6, is to be a man who is above reproach. In other words, an elder is not liable to accusation or questioning of his personal character or integrity. Now, this one was so important to Paul. This above reproach quality was so important to him that he would actually repeat it again in verse 7. So Paul, in what he is saying, he is looking for an elder who is a model man of God that no one can accuse, no one can charge, and no one can question his character character, and integrity with any degree of credibility to the accusations. He is to be a man who is above reproach. Next, we see that an elder is to be the husband of one wife. Now, when you're reading this in its context, particularly in the Greek, it literally translates to one woman man. So when we read this passage, we see that the elder is not a polygamist, nor is he a man who is committing marriage infidelity. Rather, an elder is a man who is loyal to his wife. Now, this particular phrase from Paul to Titus does not exclude men who are widowers or men who have never married. That is not what Paul is speaking to here in our context. And so now we have to ask this question. What about men who have been divorced? For elders, I tend to keep blameless and one-woman man together so that the elders are still considered above reproach. However, I also give room for Christian grace and exercise Christian conscience at this point. You see, there can be exceptions here as this passage does not eliminate divorced men or men who marry women who have been divorced. This is all situational depending upon the biblical grounds of what has happened in that particular relationship. So the bottom line is this. An elder is a man who is in love with, committed to, and devoted to only one woman. And that woman is his wife. That is a man who is the husband of one wife. Now when thinking about this particular phrase in this passage, John MacArthur said it this way. He said an elder must have an unsullied and lifelong reputation for devotion to his spouse, and to sexual purity. In other words, a lustful man who flirts with women other than his wife is disqualified from leadership. A man who is addicted to pornography is also a man who is disqualified as well. The commitments move from there. And we see that elders ought to have children who are believers. Now this is actually interesting wording here for Paul. You see, what we're actually seeing from Paul is that family leadership is important. You see, the family is the proving ground for leadership within the church. You see, as adults, it is our biblical responsibility to see to the spiritual upbringing of our children. As parents, as stewards of the time that God has given us with our children, we have a biblical responsibility to see to the spiritual upbringing of our children. In fact, Paul, in writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, says these words. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now let me unpack this for a moment. You see, elders should have faithful, well-behaved, and obedient children. Should they be believers before that man becomes an elder? No. Because that's between that child and the Spirit of God working in their life. But... For that elder who is the father, that should be the expectation for their children one day as they continue to lead their children. I love what uh, Brian Chappelle says about this point. He says that we are not necessarily looking at the beliefs and actions of one child, but at the character of the family as a whole. Our assessment is to be based on observations of children's conduct and convictions made over time. So children under the elder as father cannot be characterized by wilderness or rebellion. And so for the elder as the father, father he should be willing to do whatever is necessary in terms of time and attention to nurture his child in the training and instruction of the lord in other words to be a qualified elder in the church you should be biblically leading your family well Does this mean your children will necessarily come to faith in Jesus Christ? No, because you are not God. That is up to the providential hand of the Lord. However, as long as your children are in your care, as long as your children live under your roof, you have a biblical responsibility to steward your children well. Now, if you are a father who is disconnected from your family, If you are a father who is disconnected from your wife and disconnected from your children, so your house is a mess. And I'm not just talking about laundry on the floor. I'm talking about a mess in terms of how people act and behave in your home. And then that translates into moving into the community. And because you are so disconnected from your family, you're that person who shows up at the restaurant and instead of engaging your family, you are engaged with your cell phone and your kids are running a mess and they're going crazy and ketchup's being thrown across the restaurant or bread is being thrown across the restaurant and you know who I'm talking about because we've seen them. Those men are the men who are not qualified to be elders. You see, men should be faithfully leading their families. Does it mean they're always going to get it right? No. But they still have a responsibility to engage They have a responsibility to serve and they have a responsibility to lead their families. They have a responsibility to train their children in the ways of our Lord. Verse 7, we move on from there and we see that elders must be men of godly conduct. Now, when you get into verse 7, we see this word overseer here, which comes up again, which also could mean elder. So as overseers of the local church, elders are to help give direction and oversight for the church. And because of this oversight or shepherding, if you will, elders must be men of godly Conduct. Now again, we have a list played out before us. And the first list that we see is the word above reproach. Now again, this is a foundational quality for Paul. Again, he has mentioned it two times now as it relates to elders' life, both within the church, but then also outside the walls of the church. Now we've already defined what above reproach means, but the simple fact that it is repeated again here shows us that being above reproach is is an essential quality and not something that is optional for the elders within the church. And so then what follows defines a life that is above reproach. So as God stewards, elders, we are now going to see several negative qualities and then we are going to see several positive qualities as well. So let's focus on the negative qualities as Paul lays them out to Titus. He says that elders are to be uh, are not to be arrogant. In other words, an elder is someone who is not a proud self-pleaser, nor is he someone who has no regard for God's will or God's people. We then see elders are not to be hot-tempered. In other words, elders shouldn't be men who are easily provoked or short-fused or prone to rage or prone to uh, anger. Elders are men who are not prone to a quarreling spirit. We then see that elders are not to be Drunkards. In other words, they are to be given to drink that causes them to lose mental sharpness and sound judgment. And then we see that elders are not to be men who are violent. In other words, an elder can't be given to acts of violence. An elder cannot be a man who is physically abusive or hurtful. A biblical elder, according to the Word of God, is called to build up the church and not beat her down. We then see that elders are not to be greedy for gain. In other words, money cannot be the motive for becoming an elder in the church. An elder cannot make money off of the people through the use of their authority as an elder. An elder cannot be a lover of money more than a lover of the call that has been given to them. Because when you love money more than the call, you can now wander away from the faith. So you see, elders are to be men of godly conduct. We then see in verse 8 that elders must be men of godly character. It's at this point that Paul gives us six positive qualities or desirable qualities that describe an elder. He tells us that elders are to be hospitable. In other words, elders are to be lovers of strangers. They ought to open their hearts and open their homes to others. They are to help those in need, regardless of race, social status, or lifestyle. None of these things prevent an elder from loving others and helping those who are around them. In other words, elders are men who live with the full gospel of Jesus Christ on display. We see that elders are to be lovers of good. In other words, they have a passion for what is good as described and defined by the Word of God. We then see that elders are to be self-controlled. In other words, they are to be under mental and emotional control. They are to have an accurate and balance to their life. They are to be both in judgment and in action, act in a way with wisdom according to the Word of God. Elders are to be men of common sense and they see life from a biblical perspective which is God's perspective. In other words, elders are focused with right priorities in view according to the Word of God. We then see that elders are to be upright men. They are to be men who the church can follow in the way they treat others and the way that they live. An elder is someone who is just. He is fair. He is equitable and honest in how he deals with others. Now notice this. Because you see, the character of a man can rise and fall when it is seen in how he treats others. Elders are to be holy, according to Paul. They are to be pure men. Men who are committed to godliness and Christ-likeness. They are to pursue a life untainted by moral pollution or stain. They live a life that is a reflection of Jesus Christ who has redeemed them and now lives in them. Now does this mean the elder will be perfect? No. Does this mean the elder will be without sin? No. But it does mean that the elder strives for holiness in all that he does. We then see that an elder is to be disciplined. Disciplined meaning that the elder has control over himself. He has control over his strengths and his passions and his impulses. His will is under the control of God our Lord, whom the elder loves and trusts. The elder, a disciplined elder, regularly looks at his reflection in the mirror in order to make sure that his life is in line with God's standard. An elder is a man who is mastered by the Word of God and therefore led by the Spirit of God. So you see, as an elder, these are men of godly commitment, godly conduct, godly character. And then in verse 9, Paul tells us that elders are to be men with godly convictions. Now Paul wraps up this whole conversation about elders' personal, ministerial, and doctrinal qualifications by speaking to the importance of the Word and speaking to the importance of sound doctrine. You see, Paul believed the elder must have definite convictions about the truth of the Word of God and teaching that truth. There could be no room for compromise when it comes to biblical conviction according to the Word. That's why Paul says in verse 9 that they are to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Now think about this for a moment. Because here's what Paul is acknowledging. He is acknowledging that it is possible to be a leader in the church and hold on to what is not true. You see, people can turn from what is capital T truth to something that they think is better. And it's unfortunate, but we are now living in that time where churches are turning away from the Word of God. Churches are turning away from capital T truth and they're looking for self-help quick fixes that are actually counter to the Word of God itself. You see, for elders in the church, they need to respect the Bible as the inspired, inerrant Word of God. When they preach and they teach, they preach and they teach only the Word of God. The elder never thinks of standing before the congregation and doing anything less than proclaiming the truths that come from the Word of God. You see, the elder desires to honor what God has said and how he has said it. In other words, an elder is an expositor of the holy scriptures. Now there's a purpose for holding firm to the trustworthy word is taught. Paul teaches us that with the next phrase. We, we hold firm. Elders are to hold firm so that the elder can give instruction in sound doctrine. Now, right here in verse, uh, verse 9, I would actually underline that particular phrase because here is the heart of Titus. You see, this phrase actually appears four times in the New Testament, all of them in the pastoral letters. It actually appears two times right here in the letter written to Titus. And so what we have is we have a call for healthy teaching. Now, that's important because we need to pay attention to this. If there is a call for healthy teaching, that means there can be sick, weak, and deadly teaching in our churches. There can be people who are misled by leadership. And in those places, we see churches dying. You see, healthy churches will have sound doctrine. An elder in a healthy church will be a place where there is healthy teaching with the goal to exhort and encourage the congregation and ultimately to glorify God through the teaching of the Word. You see, the faithful elder for Paul here is a teacher, a defender, a preacher, and a physician. An elder is one who takes up the task to comfort, confront, admonish, and then attack according to the Word of God and to sound doctrine. An elder is someone who believes and willingly exposes false teachings. An elder is someone who believes with conviction that their responsibility is to expose and confront deceptive messages. And an elder is someone who will willingly attack prosperity preaching which is not found in the Word of God. You see, in Paul... In Romans chapter 16 verse 17, and speaking of the elders, he says elders are called to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. You see, the elders' convictions should lead them to encourage believers in their walk and then refute theology when that theology is biblically wrong. These convictions, according to Paul to Titus, these are not up for discussion. These convictions are not up for compromise. You see, elders have the responsibility, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, they have the responsibility of fulfilling Jesus Christ, whom Him they proclaim, warning Everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In other words, the elders are to teach the Word. Elders are to teach sound doctrine and it must be their conviction. You see, the call of an elder is a high calling of the man. The call of an elder is needed for healthy leadership in the church. Put it plainly, churches need biblical elders. Our church needs biblical elders. And speaking of elders in a time, and a season that we're living in, where there is, there is no guarantee we're going to be able to meet in this place next week. There could be another report that comes out this week that says, sorry, Florida, you got to go back to gatherings of ten or less. So guess what we're back to doing? Video sermons. Guess what I enjoy doing? Video sermons. That is sarcasm. I don't enjoy it at all. Pastor Corey doesn't enjoy them either because then he has to listen to me preach three times. And I promise you, it doesn't change, does it, Corey? Does it get better? No, it doesn't, does it? I'll answer that myself. But in the uncertainty of not knowing what the next week holds, we have a choice to make. We can either be reactive in our response or we can be proactive in our response. And so the way that we need to be proactive is by looking at Paul's words here to Titus and saying, we here at Southside Baptist Church, we need biblical elders. We need men who teach and preach with conviction. We need men who pray with passion. We need men who faithfully share, shepherd, and care for the flock. You see, I love what Richard Baxter says in his book, The Reformed Pastor. He says it this way. He says, "...to take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues, and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors." You see, the elder in the church, the biblical elder must have no part in contradictions. His convictions must match his words which must match his actions which must match the living Word of God. You see, for the glory of God, for the good of the faithful in the church, an elder's life will match his belief and what he believes will then connect with how he lives. And then he will shepherd well. You see, it's at that point the elder will be a leader worth trusting. At that point, the elder will be a leader worth following. So as a church, according to God's Word set before us in Titus, let's begin praying now for God to raise up Elders in our church. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be here, to be in this place, to discuss your word. Father, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, Lord, we pray collectively. God, help us to be a faithful church. Help us to be faithful to your word, faithful to your truth. God, I pray that as we look back over Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. Father, as we pray these words over our men, as we pray these words over the next generation, as singles pray these words, either over themselves or over their future spouses. Father, we pray that through it all, that you would call up biblical elders to help us lead our church. Because God, the reality is, this is not our church. This is your church. We are your emissary. We were placed here by your providential plan. And because of that, Father, we know that you have a reason and a purpose for what is happening. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what word may come from our our politicians, our county commissioners, our president, our governor. We don't know what arguments will be made. We have no idea whether businesses and workplaces are going to shut down again. But God, the one thing that we do know, the one thing that we can hold to is the fact that you and you alone are in charge. You are still sovereign. You are still seated upon your throne. And so, Father, in our actions and our words, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, we recognize in our church we need godly leaders We need men to step up. Father, we need biblical elders to lead us. And so Father, we pray now that You would begin to stir in the souls of men who may be in this place, who may be sensing that call. Lord, I pray that as a church we would continue to seek Your Word and Your truth and what it is that You have called us to. And Father, we pray that in the decisions that are made, in the words that are spoken in our actions, may they be biblical and may they bring glory and honor to your name. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. Thank you for your word. May we hold firm to your truth today. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.